What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, employment trumped tariffs, which is how the Dow gained 100 points. S&P advanced 0.85%. NASDAQ pole pulled at 1.34%. We've got job growth without inflation. And it's job growth in the right areas. Manufacturing and construction. Lots of workforce participation, but still some slack in the labor market. But this stock market is a constant tug of war. It's a tug of war between the bulls and the bears. And on the other side, you've got two big negatives. The tariffs that just went into effect against the Chinese and the flat yield curve. At the moment, I think it's a draw, which is why you still see such a rush toward FANG, the ultimate anti-Chinese trade, you know, for technology at least, and toward the defensive recession-proof names, even if they aren't even doing that well. Now, I do not want to sound too negative. Over the last three months, we've seen an average of 211,000 jobs created without much inflation. That's right, each month. I, look, frankly, that's astounding. It should have been the talk of the day, not the soybeans. Many economists would say it's impossible to have what's happening right now. A red-hot job market is supposed to produce tremendous wage inflation. It's not. On the other hand, I don't want to sound too positive. As my friend Phil LeBeau pointed out, the Chinese are putting tariffs on American-made cars, and that can be a major negative. Autos are the ultimate battleground. If Europe decides to hit us with higher auto tariffs, well, that would be a very, very big negative. Does it undo the positive of the labor report? No. No, it doesn't. But if you combine the tariffs with rising raw costs, you do get an unfortunate picture. I've said many times that trade is a tough issue, and we may need to accept some short-term pain if we're going to ever get some uh, our trading partners to play fair. But for the moment, that short-term pain does hurt. The flattening yield curve where yields on long-term treasuries aren't much higher than ones on short-term pieces of paper. It's all about the tariffs and the fears of economic chaos they can produce. Has to be. There's nothing really to dislike about the economy, not after today's employment report. So is our economy strong enough to keep on trucking even in the face of these negatives? I think we'll get some real insight into that as companies start reporting next week. Any comment from the Fed chairman that updates his thinking from last month about the disruption in world trade tempering rate hikes would really help the bullish cause. But judging from the five minutes yesterday, I can't expect it to happen. So let's get to the game plan, why not we? On Monday, the Chinese government releases consumer and producer prices. And I got to tell you, their data... Oh, boy, it's become increasingly important, even though we're not stressing enough the pundits aren't. Here's why. 
China's central bank has been easing sub-rosa, and low inflation numbers will allow them to continue to do so. I suspect the Chinese aren't nearly as confident as they sound, because as I keep stressing, China needs our economy more than we need theirs. And it's not just the balance of trade. You heard a lot of talk about the U.S. government's massive debt load, right? But China has too much debt at every level, both public and private. They're sitting on a trillion dollars worth of U.S. treasuries. Uh, but they can't really repatriate that money because then their currency will go higher, causing more trade problems. The punditocracy has convinced itself that the Chinese Communist Party will never give in because they take a thousand-year perspective. Believe me, their debt situation is so precarious that I don't even think they can hold out for a thousand days. Next up, remember when Alcoa used to kick off any season before its breakup? Now it's PepsiCo. It sets to, uh, it's going to set the trend on Tuesday. This morning, we got an extremely negative note from Wells Fargo about how PepsiCo's quarter is going to be weak. I expect the stock to trade lower, but this company has a lot of levers, and even the bears at Wells admit that the company could do something big to unlock value. We're holding the PepsiCo for my travel trust. You can follow along at actionallersplus.com. But I am concerned that a weak quarter could send the stock down pretty hard unless the company addresses the weaknesses because there are so many strengths that are being masked by carbonated beverage declines and market share losses to arch-rival Coca-Cola. Tuesday is also a huge day for Nordstrom, which holds its first big analyst meeting. The last quarter was not so hot. The company offered very little explanation other than said it didn't execute well, thanks for nothing, and the stock quickly fell from $50 to $45 straight line. Boom. Here we are again back in the 50s. A good meeting sends Nordstrom appreciably higher. But a bad one? We sold some shares for the trust this week. Again, from, you can see that from the club. Because I have less faith in this company than I used to. But it's hard to imagine them really screwing this meeting up as badly as they did the conference call, because that was one that was one for the ages. Wednesday, General Mills holds an analyst meeting. Now, this is a concern for me, uh, because it'll be a test of the recent strength that we've seen in these recession-proof stocks I talked about at the top. Generous Mills, as we used to call it, hasn't been all that generous of late as businesses slowed. Many think they paid too much for blue buffalo pet food, except for uh, Bug and NVIDIA, who lapped the stuff up. They had to offer an equity offering at a price much lower than where they've been buying stock for years. This is a distinctly suboptimal situation. Let's hear more about debt paid out and perhaps a further restructuring to bring out value. Hey, how about some vision, too? We get our own producer price index on Wednesday and our consumer price index on Thursday. We need to see more numbers that show tame inflation, like the wage number we got today. Remember, the bulls need a sign that the Fed will slow down its rate hikes if the trade war doesn't do it does too much damage to the economy. Bulls need this. But a hot PPI and a hot CPI. Well, let's just say the Fed will be forced to keep tightening. Finally, Friday, it's a monster. JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, PNC all report the bank stocks. Well, let's just say they've been horrendous. We've had almost three weeks of relentless downside pressure in this sector. This morning, I talked about the banks with Scott Wapner on Squawk on the Street. By the way, I'll be uh, on uh, Scotty's Halftime Report Monday. And he asked me, is there anything, anything that could reverse the direction of these stocks, given that they can't make nearly as much money uh, as they normally would lending with this flattening yield curve? I came back and said that these companies have all sorts of fees to augment lending and how they have plenty of other ways to make money, like advising on M&A, that's mergers acquisition. But I got to admit, it all was, I I think I sounded pretty lame, frankly, uh, versus how much the banks can make lending if we could just get long-term interest rates going higher. Still, they're returning a tremendous return, a tremendous amount of capital, a tremendous amount. And that should cushion the stocks against further declines. And their valuations are astoundingly cheap. The cheapest I've ever seen versus, say, when they're doing well. I know, I know, not enough. 
But at this point, I'd rather be a buyer than a seller, especially with Citigroup. Because as we've been telling ActionAlertsPlus.com club members, the company's buying back 7% of its shares this year and will be doing the same next year. I simply don't see how its stock can continue to go down with that kind of trampoline underneath. The bottom line, today, positive employment figures trump negative tariffs. Can it continue? I think earnings could break the tie, unless, of course, China blinks. Highly unlikely. But we'll never have a better time to take on the PRC than we do right now with this insanely strong job growth with almost no inflation. Let's go to Roland in uh, Maryland. Roland. Jim, thank you for taking my call. My question concerns Huntsman Corporation, ticker HUN, a large U.S.-based chemical company. I currently have a position in the company and want to add to it, but I'm wondering what effect the tariffs and or trade wars will have on the company. It's killing that group. It's killing that group. Now, fortunately, uh, we have Frank Mitch at Wells Fargo, who's giving you a pretty good read that uh, Huntsman's doing well. But I've got to tell you, it is, it is. Well, I don't want you to have to swim upstream. And that's what you have to do. You have like, man, it's like a rip, it's a rip tide out there. And I don't have a, you know, one of those orange things I can throw you. All right. Hey, let's go. Ooh, this is good. Let's go to Chance in Florida. Chance. Hey, Jim. Love the show. Thank you, Chance. So I wanted to talk about Abby. Ticker ABBV. See the stock today? See that move? I, I did see the move. I love it. I love it. Uh, the stock still is almost down 25% since its late January high, mostly over Humera virus similarity concerns in the European market, along with potential competition domestically in 2020, 2023. Uh, do you believe this is a longer term trend or a market overreaction in the short term? Is Chance smart or what? I mean, Chance just kind of laid out the strong story that I actually share. Bye, bye, bye! Chance is not a fool's name for fate. Hey, listen, if you can remember that, you should just tweet it right now. Okay, let's go to Joshua in Tennessee. Joshua! Hey, Kramer. My hey, question Josh. is about corning and specifically about the effects of 5G on their optical sector. No, 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 no. I mean, if we want to do 5G, I got a lot of 5Gers out there. I mean, we, we can do Qualcomm. Now, I know that's taking your life in your hands, but I would rather do Qualcomm uh, than I would Corning. Okay. Now we got to go to Hunter in Florida. Hunter. Jim, I bought First Solar back at the beginning of June when it took a dip. The last two days have been positive, but it doesn't seem to keep its gain. I thought the good progress with California Senate Bill 100 would spike it up higher. Right, I'm not right. sure if I should walk away or hold it till the end of the month when earnings comes out. Oh, holy look, I think the quarter's going to be good. The problem is this thing is just footballed. That's a term for I mean, it's caught up in world trade. And when we're caught up in world trade, it's just one big, nasty headache. All right, who's going to prevail, the bulls or the bears? You know what, right now I think it's a draw, but earnings could break the tie. On Mad Tonight, it's been a long road for GE investors, but could the end of the decline be just around the corner? I'm telling you where the stock pariah could be headed. Then CAG, that's what we call ConAgra, just made a major bet on the red-hot frozen food aisle. So what's next after its almost $11 billion deal by Pinnacle Foods? And the biggest quandary about the oil market now may not be what you think it is. I'll reveal it. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Question. Is it finally time to buy GE? You'll have my answer at the end of this segment. Let's dig in. For the last 18 months, General Electric has been the doggiest dog in the kennel, losing nearly 60% of its value from its 10-year highs in 2016 and getting expelled from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It can't even be the dog of the Dow anymore. Former CEO Jeff Immelt left the company in a terrible state. How terrible? Honestly, there's no way for me to put it into words, at least not on basic cable. I mean, after all, this is a family show. I need to use too many of the late, great George Carlin's seven dirty words you can't say on TV. But I'll try. GE was the most opaque company in the Dow. It was plagued by problems that seemed to come out of nowhere, even as they should have been obvious to management from a long way ago. Long, long way. By the way, should have been obvious to the board, too. Now, you had tons of unexpected liabilities, like the pension hole and the horrific long-term care insurance business. Years ago, the old GE sold tons of policies to people, assuming that they would have have much shorter life expectancies and and that health care costs would be much cheaper. Long-term care is like an open wound. They took a $6.2 billion charge to shore up reserves for this business late last year. They committed another $15 billion over the next seven years. And even that may not be enough to stop the bleeding. Even worse... Immelt made a lot of really, really bad calls. He sold NBC Universal, the parent company of the network, to Comcast for pittance right at the depths of the Great Recession. He sold large parts of GE Capital businesses far too close to the bottom for the financials, including Synchrony, their private label credit card business that's done very well as an independent entity. He made a bunch of oil-related acquisitions near the peak in oil. He shut out $17 billion for Alstom's power business, which has been a real stinker. I still fear some huge write-offs there. Maybe some of this was bad luck and bad timing, but a lot of it was just plain mismanagement. Put it all together, and GE developed a serious cash flow problem, which ultimately caused them to cut the dividend in half last November. And a lot of bears speculate that there may be more cuts necessary. Listen, when John Flannery took over as CEO 11 months ago, he got to work cutting costs and immediately began a major strategic review to figure out how to fix things. He talked about doing $20 billion in asset sales, bringing in a new board of directors, being a lot less generous to executives. In April, we started seeing the asset sales. Flannery sold GE's value-based care division to a private equity firm for $1.05 billion. He announced a plan to merge the transportation business with Wobtech in an $11.1 billion deal. The stock started to pick up steam, but it gave back all of its gains when Flannery spoke at an industrial conference in late May. It made it clear that the problems in GE's power business wouldn't be going away anytime soon. And look, when we learned GE was being expelled from the Dow last month, I told you it was too soon to try to call the bottom here. Then what happened? Last Tuesday, GE shared the results of its strategic review. The plan? 
General Electric's going to spin off its healthcare business as an independent company within the next year and a half. They're going to, to sell their interest in Baker Hughes, a GE company, the big oil service subsidiary, over the next two or three years. And we already know that the transportation business is going to Wabtec. What's left? The remaining GE will be a high-tech industrial focus on aviation, power, and renewable energy with real synergies this time. The idea is that the new GE will be focused on these businesses rather than being a huge conglomerate. That's impossible for anyone to understand. Basically, he wants GE to be an engine and turbine maker. They call them turbines, by the way, at GE. (laughs) They always had their own way of doing everything. Meanwhile, he's aiming to pay down $25 billion in debt, and Flannery laid out exactly how he'd raise the money to pay for it, including by transferring $18 billion in debt and pension obligations to that healthcare spinoff. Now, the stock shot up nearly 8% on the news, and I have to say I like it here. I love the aviation business. We know that aerospace is one of the hottest industries around with a multi-decade backlog of demand. And thinking long-term, it's definitely better to be in the renewable energy business than the fossil fuels business. But thanks to the rebound in the price of crude, I imagine GE will be able to monetize their oil biz from a position of strength over the next couple of years. Better to be lucky than good. Who cares? He's selling into strength, not weakness. I'm not exactly thrilled that they're keeping the power business. The house of pain. They make a ton of money servicing existing plants, but they aren't building anywhere near the number of new plants they need to support this gigantic division. More layoffs, please. Sadly. I think the healthcare spinoff is very smart, which makes sense since Flannery used to run the healthcare division. He turned it around, by the way. This is one of my favorite businesses, and I bet it commands a far higher valuation than the analysts are expecting. It's pristine. Flannery's got going to put, as I mentioned, a lot of debt on the balance sheet, but it'll be able to pay that debt down pretty quickly. When the separation occurs, I think plain old GE will cut its dividend, but healthcare may give you enough of a dividend to offset the cut from what they will probably be calling a remainder call. I'm very glad that Flannery is decentralizing the company and cutting vast swaths of corporate blubber. I think the plan to clean up the balance sheet is achievable. I also think it's terrific that Larry Culp, the fabulous former CEO of Danaher, a really good industrial, will replace John Brennan as lead director. You need a tough industrial set the board's helm, and that's Culp to a T. Perhaps most importantly, after watching John Flannery operate for the past year, meeting him on a few occasions, and listening to his plan for the future, I believe that he is indeed the right man for the job. He's proven himself to be an honest broker, someone who's willing to reveal bad news shortly after he finds out about it and then makes the tough decisions that are needed to turn things around. I really like that. I'm just going to say it. It's time to buy the stock of General Electric. Yep, I think the end of the long decline in GE is finally here. After seeing the results of the company's lengthy strategic review last week, especially the plan to break up this unwieldy conglomerate into easier-to-understand pieces, I am a believer. John Flannery has gotten his head around the problems of this troubled industrial giant. I'm not saying GE stock is ready to roar. I could say that the bottom is near, not here, but I don't want to equivocate anymore about this thing. I'm not saying the numbers will start picking up tomorrow. That's not possible. I'm not saying the dividend, which currently yields 3.76%, is safe. Remember what I told you about the healthcare spinoff. But I do believe that at these levels, the potential upside far outweighs the possible downside. In other words, the risk-reward is very attractive. Consider that even Steve Chusa, the bearish J.P. Morgan analyst who's been dead right about GE every step of the way, has an $11 price target on this thing. Hey, the stock's currently at 13 bucks and change. If the biggest bear on GE thinks it's going to 11 I say the stock's a buy. I see this as a two-down, five-up scenario. Here's the bottom line. GE still has plenty of problems, but we can finally see some light at the end of the tunnel. And at this point, I think the potential upside outweighs the potential downside. Start buying here and then buy more if it goes to Tusa's target. It's going to take a while. 
But Flannery's got a plan, and it's a good one. Stick with Kramer. Last Wednesday, we learned that ConAgra, the big packaged food company you might recognize as Chef Boyardee, Hebrew National, Egg Beaters, Hunts, uh, ketchup ready with, oh, how tempting, huh? Uh, Orville Ruddenbacher, Pam Bertoli, Slim Jims, love them, and other brands, is buying Pinnacle Foods for $10.9 billion in cash and stock in the deal that people have been speculating about for nearly a year. And what happens? The market hates it. ConAgra plummets 7% in a single session, and it hasn't recovered very much in the week and a half since. That's insane! In an environment where everyone's scared of what tariffs are going to do and a flat yield curve mean for the broader economy, even as it's red hot right now, the hedge fund playbook says you want to buy the packaged food companies. Historically, ConAgra is exactly the kind of stock that works when investors believe we're headed into a slowdown. But this is a strange moment. The food stocks have been stinking up the joint as they struggle to generate growth until this week when they caught some bids. Not much. ConAgra's been the exception this whole time, though. It's the packaged food company that's giving you terrific numbers. In fact, the very same day they tell us about the Pinnacle deal, this company pre-announced an excellent quarter. But it got lost in the shuffles. Everyone wanted to freak out. Everyone was busy freaking out about the takeover itself and the stock portion of the deal, which weighed heavily on the shares. Here's the thing. I think that this is a very good deal. ConAgra has a strong track record when it comes to gobbling up other companies and integrating them into its business. And it's like what they're getting with Pinnacle. In fact, back in December when I recommended ConAgra, I urged them to buy Pinnacle Foods. ConAgra is finally seeing the benefits of a turnaround masterminded by ACE CEO Sean Connolly and his collaborators, by the way, Jana Partners, an activist hedge fund. He sold or spun off ConAgra's underperforming divisions like private label cereal and commercial food service and delivered good numbers which was why ConAgra was among the best-performing food stocks until the merger news last week. I flat-out said that ConAgra should buy either B&G Foods or Pinnacle full stop. It was a good idea in December. It's still a good idea now. So how could the market be so wrong then? And more importantly, why do I think ConAgra is a buy here after last week's monster pullback? Let's start with the Pinnacle deal, the object of contention. For the past year, Pinnacle's been trying to put itself up for sale. The company has a bunch of well-known brands, especially in the freezer section, Bird's Eye, I just bought this last week. It's not as easy to do when you're home alone. Duncan Hines, mm, uh, Earth Balance, Evil, Glutino, <laughs> yeah, um, classic pickles. Uh, Wishbone, not my choice, but you know, hey, there's no accounting for taste. There's a lot of health and gluten-free stuff in there that finally appeals to that millennial co- cohort. Whenever you hear someone angrily tell a waiter that I'm gluten-free, think Pinnacle Foods. And we know ConAgra's been looking to buy Pinnacle because that's exactly what they tried to do last summer before the deal broke down when the companies couldn't agree on price. Since then, Pinnacle stock's been oscillating between the low 50s and the low 60s. This was a piece of merchandise ConAgra wanted badly, as combining uh, with Pinnacle's bird's eye would give them real dominance in the freezer aisle. Anything that gives these food companies more heft versus the supermarkets is a positive, especially when they can lock down a single part of the store. Now, Pinnacle stock got clobbered earlier this year, uh, along with the rest of the market, but it started roaring again in April when we learned that Janet Partners, the activist hedge fund, had taken a 9% plus stake in the company. That name sounds familiar to you. It's because Janet is the same hedge fund company that did uh, advise Conley somewhat about uh, how to turn around ConAgra. Of course, they were going to push for a deal. 
And it was not like this was poorly telegraphed. In the week leading up to the news, we got story after story about how a takeover was in the works. Yet when ConAgra finally made the official announcement, the stock got bent, folded, spindle, uh, spindled, and mutilated. Why? Well, it was the price. This company's shelling out $10.9 billion for this company, or $43.11 per share in cash, along with a big slug of its own stock, only valuing Pinnacle at about $68 per share. And Conagra's borrowing $7.3 billion to fund the deal. Some people think that's, well, that's just way too much debt on the balance sheet. But consider what they're getting in return. The frozen food section of the supermarket has never been more on fire. Millennials are cheap. And as I mentioned before, buying Pinnacle will make uh, ConAgra the number two player in the freezer section behind only uh, worldwide kingpin Nestle. Plus, every company in the space is trying to appeal to younger customers. Pinnacle's got all those great healthy and gluten-free offerings. ConAgra's becoming a lot more millennial-friendly with this transaction. Management expects the deal to be additive to earnings by the fiscal year that ends in May of 2020. Since they expect uh, to close on Pinnacle by the end of 2018, we're really talking about uh, less than a year and a half before the takeover becomes profitable. By 2022, they're talking about a high single-digit earnings boost, which may not sound like a lot, but in the food space, boy, that's solid growth. Plus, ConAgra's squawking about $250 million in annual run rate cost synergies over the same period of time. And they may be low-balling these numbers, as this management team has a good track record of acquiring smaller brands and integrating them into the business. I love this stuff. Let me put it another way. This deal is so obvious that it's about as logical and positive as can be, yet it's acting much worse than a lot of lesser deals for this huge year for M&A. Sometimes when companies merge, you have to think long and hard to justify why they might belong under the same roof. That's not the case here. There's a reason we've been talking about a ConAgra Pinnacle food tie-up for over a year. There's a reason why the very smart guys at Jan and Partners, who know both companies extremely well, wanted this combo to happen. All right, Pinnacle isn't perfect, I know, but their frozen foods business is growing like a weed, and it fits perfectly with ConAgra's frozen brands. That means they'll be able to strong-arm the supermarkets and give them better shelf space. Plus, practically every consumer packaged uh, goods company has been complaining about rising transportation costs. The best way to contain those costs? Increase scale so you can get more bang for your buck on the logistics side of things. And look, ConAgra is already a very good company. Sean Connolly, CEO, has done a heck of a job turning things around. He knows how to unlock value. Remember, this is the guy who sold the old Hillshire brands to Tyson Foods for a big premium for coming to ConAgra. If anyone in this industry deserves the benefit of the doubt, it's him. Best of all, this deal has the potential to transform ConAgra from a value stock into a growth stock. While it already has some of the fastest growth in the industry, that industry is still pretty stagnant. In the latest quarter, uh, the one nobody cares about because they pre-announced it on the same day as the Pinnacle deal, the company gave you 5.6% revenue growth. Adding Pinnacle to the mix should give them a real boost. While ConAgra's guidance for the next quarter was a bit light, I think management's merely being conservative ahead of what may be a noisy quarter. These guys are known practitioners of UPOD, under-promise and over-deliver. Put it all together, and this company's got a lot going for it. Even as the stock now sells for just 15 times next year's earnings estimates, that's pretty cheap for this kind of growth. Bottom line, the huge pullback in ConAgra stock last week was a gift. The Pinnacle, Pinnacle Foods acquisition is a positive, not a negative. I'd be a buyer right here. Let's go to Kevin in Oregon. Kevin. Oh, booyah, Jim. I love your show. Thank you. Tell you, you, have, you have so much energy, you could be your own utility. Well, I certainly I, am not a nuclear power plant, but I play one on TV. What's up? <laughs> uh, my question is on uh, Constellation Brands, STZ. Yeah. In late June, they missed their earnings. But then a few days later, they came out with $700 million in gains from cannabis investments. 
I was just kind of wondering what's going on with this I company. struggle, I struggle, I struggle with Constellation. Uh, I got to speak to Rob Sands. The problem is, is that it was, uh, they did not give you the number that we wanted. Uh, beer was a little weak. Wine was not good. Uh, but it's still the best in the group. So it's a tough, tough call. We still own a small position for AxelOrangePlus.com, my travel trust, which you can follow along, obviously, and be a club member. But we did downgrade the stock at 230. And I got to tell you, on strength, I may have to lighten up. It, it, it wasn't what I wanted. And it's such a great company. It's had such a big move. But it was noisy quarter. Although I did like the guidance for uh, when things got warmer. Uh, April, May, uh, March and April were tough months. Let's go to Jacob in Illinois. Jacob. Hey, Jim. I was wondering about ag commodities, specifically soybeans. Uh, the tariff was announced uh, about a month and a half ago, and since then, soybeans have been down about $2. Uh, and then the tariffs actually were put into place today where they took effect, and then soybeans finished up 38 I was uh, wondering if they were bottomed out or if we could see lower prices, and if so, what kind of impact that would have on the whole economy? One of the things that I like to do is know what I'm good at and know what I'm not. I am not a commodities guy. I do think that soy got too expensive, but soy is one of these things where I have to take, you know, default to the stocks themselves, and I still like deer. I still like deer. That's what matters to me. Uh, Archer Daniels is okay. Agco is okay, too. Let's go to Joe in New York, please. Joe. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Joe. How about you? Not bad, not bad. I'm a long-time uh, um, listener, uh, listener, but a first-time caller. So okay. I'd just like to thank you for all the good advice that you've given us. Uh, I mean, you really gent. helped me a lot. You are a gent. Thank you. Great, great. Uh, my question's on Starbucks. Um, just wondering about all the tariff war going on between China and, 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 uh, and Trump uh, with Phase 1 going through. Now with Phase 2 going through next next week, what do you think about uh, what do you think about the company? Whether whether it's a good time to buy it now, and um, Boy, what, do, what do you think about the target? It's a great price question. It's a little exasperating. Sheet. We don't know what the Chinese are going to do. Whether they, it would be very strange if they actually launched a boycott or put some sort of tariff on, on Starbucks. Uh, the stock sells at twenty times earnings. It's almost three percent yield. I like to see the yield a little bit higher, meaning the stock go down a little bit more, uh, because uh, I don't because this quarter's uh, not going to be that great. But down here at 48, it's a better buy than a sell. But I cannot pound the table because that last quarter just wasn't good enough. And they're in the penalty box. Right? Sometimes the market does make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are your opportunities. ConAgra's acquisition of Pinnacle is a positive. The stock's a buy. Much more mad money hit. U.S. oil producers booked a weekly loss for the first time in three weeks today. So what should your next move be in the oil patch? I'm going to give you my take. Then, good news if the dog ate your homework. I did it for you. And it could make you some money. Plus, all your calls are rapid fire. And thank God it's Friday edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with... Kramer. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to go one-on-one with Kramer. Reaction. What other questions do we have? Ah, uh, I always tell people you've got to start with an index fund because I need you to be diversified. Get more with guests. How do you stay sharp? And go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television. If you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock. Don't buy it! Follow Mad Money today.
the heck can't the OPEC nations go reinvest their winnings and start looking for oil again? The biggest quandary in the oil market isn't about what's happening right now, skyrocketing prices with actually no lid in sight. It's what's going to happen versus what should be happening. We all know OPEC's litany of woe, Venezuela crumbing, Libya falling apart, Iranian strafe, other nations tapped out. It seems like only Saudi Arabia has a longer-term plan, and their plan is to diversify away from fossil fuels. But what's truly amazing to me is that by this point in the cycle, all of these countries should be spending fortunes to discover new oil fields, and that's just not happening. Just like there seemed to be no bottom when oil was at 26 bucks, it sure feels like there's no top in the 70s, right? Uh, the difference is that many of these major oil-producing nations were, were still spending money like drunken sailors a year into the downturn. Then they shut down completely when oil didn't come right back to the 50s and instead labored in the 40s for its like ages. Now that oil's blown through the 60s, though, few of these countries have increased their exploration budgets at all. Hey, look, some places like Venezuela, they're failed states. Others are simply gun shy after getting burned by the downturn. That's why it's so tough to fight the oil tape, the one that wants to keep going higher. Yes, the Saudis could pump another million barrels a day to put a lid on the price of crude for a short term. Now that Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Aramco IPO may be a no-go, they can afford to exceed to President Trump and raise some production. The Saudis wanted oil as high as possible until this to make that IPO pop. Without it, they have more reason to compromise. But the bigger issue is that Saudi Arabia seems to be the only major oil producer with a plant. There, there's virtually no deep water exploration going on around uh, around the world. Uh, West Africa, I don't know, uh, Gulf of Mexico. No, uh, that's insane. Mexico should be out there spending billions to discover new oil in the Gulf. Instead, it's doing next to nothing to replenish. Venezuela looks like a lost cause. Bizarrely, given how poorly managed Brazil's economy is, they're actually the only one getting it right, as they seem to recognize that the time is right to explore. But Brazil is not enough, nor is the U.S., where our companies are drilling as fast as they can, but the amount they can bring to market is limited by a pipeline shortage. Oil won't stop climbing until the major national producers start boosting their exploration budgets. That's the only thing that's going to keep oil under control. And they're not doing it. That's why it's not too late to buy the oil stocks if I were you, especially the stocks of companies that are spending to find more petroleum. They're going to be the big winners in the absence of nation-level exploration. Still, by the end of the year, I expect the big producing nations will come to their senses, which is why I think you can buy the oil service companies, too. Schlumberger, Slob, the best of the breed. Yeah, 3% yield. Tremendous balance sheet. We're telling members of the ActionLearnersPlus.com club that represents the best value in the group. A barbell of oil service companies, betting these OPEC nations come to their senses, and aggressive oil producers from the U.S. makes a a ton of sense here. I buy them both right here, right now, and let them ride. Their money's back here. It is time. It's time for the light round. Come on, Sam Raffles. One hour to share stock. I said, my best suspicion is the course of when you have been playing this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate dice over the lightning round. Everybody, let's start with Dave in New York. Dave. Hello, Jim Kramer. Great to talk to you. Same, Thank you for Dave. taking my call. Same. Yes. Uh, my question tonight is about Terra Therapeutics. Uh, with the positive phase two trial data le- released last week and the license agreement last month with Vifor, has Terra Therapeutics shown you enough now to hit that well, buy remember, button? I, or like still Therapeutics. Away? I recommend it doing 17 and 18, went down to 1340 like a completely idiot. Now it's like I'm back to 20 and I think it's like real good. So the answer is bye, bye, bye. Okay, let's go to Steve in Texas. Steve. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, I'm originally from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I'm an Eagles fan. Go Birds! Go Birds! <laughs> hey, Jim, my question today is about a fintech, Urendi, Y-R-D. They run a leading a Chinese online peer-to-peer lending platform. 
And the fundamentals. I'm sorry. I know it was a buy. I know people love doing it. Came public, but the answer is sell, sell, sell. Because we're not recommending any Chinese stocks other than Alibaba and Baidu. See, Baba today up about four more points. Yes, Gene. It's finally come back. Gene in Pennsylvania. Gene. Jim, how are you? I am good, Gene. How about you? Good. I bought a large amount of Merck about 15 years ago, and I'm very happy with it. I had the opportunity to buy more now. May I have your opinion? Yeah, I think Merck has got the best uh, anti-cancer portfolio right now. The company's not very promotional. Uh, I think the stock is a very good buy with a 3% yield, so I'm going to bless that one, and I think you should buy more. Let's go to Jason in Michigan. Jason! Kramer, booyah, from Rochester, Michigan. Holy cow, didn't even know it was there. What's up? Hey, IBM has been a frustrating stock to own since their True. last earnings report. True. It's near its 52-week low right now. Is it time to average down on Big Blue, or should we wait until the next earnings and watch um, it break through You know, the stock was... The stock was at one, you know, it is, uh, the stock was below 140 just the other day. Uh, I think you can buy some here and buy some more lower. If it yields 4.4%. Uh, I think it's going to be an okay quarter. Let's go to Rick in Illinois. Rick. Jim, I'm so glad to be talking to you. Same. Thanks, buddy. I, I have a question. I can't. How do you tweet and be on the show at the same time? No, oh, there's two me's. There's a twin. That's how oh. I do it. I'm not kidding. Can you imagine the other guy's really dynamite? Well, what's going on? Uh, my my stock is Amphistar, A-M-P-H. Man, I got to ask my twin because I don't know it myself. Uh, I'm going to have to do some homework on that one. That one, you stumped me. You stumped the chump. Okay, let's go to Lou in New York. Lou. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I've got stack set. Well, then you've got smart money, because I like that stock. I wish more people liked it. I put that in the fintech category. Boy, do people love fintech. Let's go to Marsha in Texas. Marsha. Oh, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. (laughs) Hey, Jim. I'm a retiree, and I'm looking for income and safety. Could you give me a heads up on NL? Why? Annalia, it's got a big yield. It's always had a big yield. That's a good way to be able to make some money. But unfortunately, I find it very opaque, and I can't recommend any opaque stocks on the show. It doesn't make sense to me. Let's go to uh, Malik in California. Malik. Malik, here we are. We're on. What's up? Uh-oh. Malik. Hello? Well, I tell you, I'm out here just... Twiddle my fingers. Why don't we go to Sydney in South Carolina, Sydney? A big booyah to you, Jim, from Gamecock Country. There you go. Exact the mundo. What's going on? Hey, I bought a total of a thousand shares of uh, SGH, Smart Global Holdings, on June 14th and the 18th, right before earnings. Since then, it, it's tanked. Yeah. Well, what do you think about it? Do you think it's going to come back, or should I just mm, cut know, the losses I, and move look, on? Look, you know, my favorite in there in that category. My favorite is, a, is HPQ, uh, uh, which is HP Inc. I, I think that's a better one. I, I would go for that one. Let's take one more. Why don't we? Let's go to Ellis in Arkansas. Ellis. Oh, hi, Jim. This is Ellis Patterson from uh, Farmington, Arkansas. There you go. What's happening? Raise your backs. Jim, uh, my, my stock is PPG, and I know that you followed it a little bit. There's a couple of questions I know about this counting issue. I didn't, you know, counting irregularities equals sell. I can't recommend the stock anymore. It's just my discipline. It's what I learned from Jim Cramer's Real Money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the 
Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. telling you that if you want to be a good investor, you need to do your homework. That's why I try to set a good example. When you call in about a stock and stump me, I do the research so I can give you a considered answer. So let's catch up on our summer reading. Way back on April 17th, Mark in Washington asked about installed building products, IBP. I said I'd get back to him. As you might expect, IBP installs various building products, especially insulation, but also they do waterproofing and they even put gun gutters, closet doors, and shelving. When it comes to new construction of single-family homes, these guys are either number one or number two in most of their markets, and that's a lot of markets since they operate in 48 states. But here's the thing. Installed building products is joined at the hip to the housing market. And so it has the same problems as the home builders right now, even though the company itself is in great shape. The stock market wants nothing to do with this thing. IBP stock is down 25% year to date. Now, that has nothing to do with the numbers, though. The company's most recent quarter was very solid with 18% revenue growth. Pricing is strong. The earnings are growing like a weed. Just like the housing market itself right now, IBP is doing pretty darn well. Unfortunately, many investors don't seem to believe that it can keep doing well. With labor costs on the rise and the Fed continuing to hike interest rates, the whole housing complex has become radioactive. So where do I come down? Look, IBP is cheap. It sells for just 16 times next year's earnings estimates. The actual performance of the company has been stellar. If you only looked at the fundamentals, this stock would be a buy. Buy, buy, buy! I believe the businesses will stay good thanks to strong employment, even as the rates continue to rise. However, when you consider the mechanics of the money management industry, it's, it's much tougher to recommend this thing. If you really feel strongly about IBP, you got my blessing to buy it, just as long as you understand that you are fighting against what we call the hedge fund playbook here. And even if I'm right about employment trumping rate hikes, it's going to take a long time to convince these money managers that they're making a mistake when they dump all things housing. Next up on June 5th, Carl, in my home state of New Jersey, called about Sunrun, symbol RUN, R-U-N. I told him you need to do some homework. Since then, this stock has vaulted from $12 and change to $15 and change. So I really wish I had checked it out earlier. Sunrun is red hot. It's up 160% for the year. Why? Okay, think of this company as providing solar power as a service. Rather than shelling out a lot of money to pay for solar panels up front, homeowners can effectively lease them from Sunrun. They cover the installation. You pay them for the power every month. We talk a lot about the subscription economy. This is the next logical step. Sunrun looks a lot like Solar City, Elon Musk's residential solar business that he had Tesla acquire. Now, Sunrun's business is in very good shape. They blew away the numbers in the most recent quarter. And even after this monster run, stock trades is just 13 times next year's earnings estimates. Credit where it's due. Carl in New Jersey found a real winner here. The stock's up 20% since he asked about it, in part because the IRS extended the solar investment tax credit at the 30% level for another four years. That was a little surprising to me. And since they make their own solar panels, the company also got a boost when the government slapped some tariffs on Chinese solar manufacturers. A lot went their way. Plus, Sunrun's gotten a big boost as the price of oil has roared higher. As conventional energy sources get more expensive, renewables get more attractive. But, and this is a colossal but, I think we missed this one. Stock's up more than uh, 160% for the year. I hate to chase, and you're chasing if you buy Sunrun up here. While it may keep running, 
I suspect the easy money's already been made. Finally, on June 6, David in Pennsylvania asked about Cytosorbents Corporation, and the symbol here is CTSO. This is a tiny critical care immunotherapy company that uses blood purification to control potentially lethal types of inflammation in some very sick patients. Cytosorbent's lead product is already approved in Europe, but not here yet. What's it do? Okay, when you're very sick or when you have the misfortune to need open-heart surgery, your immune system goes into overdrive. Your white blood cells start throwing off these little proteins called cytokines, which then activate still more white blood cells. This can lead to what's called a cytokine, cytokine storm. There was one in season five of House, something that causes massive inflammation, organ failure, and even death. The problem is there aren't many good ways to deal with this, which is where cytosorbents comes in. This, their technology filters cytokines out of your blood to prevent your immune system from going crazy. Now, the stock has caught fire over the past couple of months as the EU approved two new indications for the company's main therapy. My view, I think cytosorbents is intriguing. But man, oh man, this is as speculative as it gets. We're talking about a company with a $348 million market cap, barely large enough for me to talk about on air, with just $15 million in revenue last year and zero earnings. If you've done your homework and you really believe in this technology, then I countenance that you could own the stock, but only with money that you're prepared to lose. Think of it as a lottery ticket, hopefully with slightly better odds. Stick with Cream. All right, let me go over this again. Yes, General Electric is a buy. John Flannery's plan is the real deal. The healthcare spinoff will be great. The sale of the oil business right into strength is something that I've been waiting for. There's just a lot to like. Matter of fact, I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you Monday. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.